0: Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Well, when I was a young kid, I uh, thought one of the coolest things in the world would be the day that I could finally drive a car. And so a few, a few months before my 16th birthday, I got the you know, learner's permit book and I studied that book and studied that book. And then as soon as I turned 16, I think it was the morning of my 16th birth- birthday, I was down at the DMV ready to take the test. So I took the test, passed the test, And then I had this confirmation from New York State that I could drive. But I didn't know how to drive. In fact, I was a really terrible driver. My dad took me across the street to a business park where there wasn't a lot of traffic, and I just kind of went around a little bit, and that was okay. Then a little while later, he took me out on the open road, and it was a terrifying experience. Uh, At times, I was driving over the speed limit, and at times, I was driving 15 miles under the speed limit. And I'm got my hands just clenched to the steering wheel, just as hard as I can. And I got my face up like this towards the windshield. And then every time we would brake, I would just kind of slam on the brakes. I was the worst possible driver. In fact, I took a driving, uh, went to a driving school after that. And a few, a uh, few classes in, a few lessons in, the guy tells me. I'm really proud of you because the first time you came out, you were the one, one of the worst drivers I had ever seen. You've made a lot of improvement. I had a confirmation that I could drive legally, but I didn't really have the ability to drive. I needed further testing, further proving to demonstrate that I actually could drive, that I could safely operate a motor vehicle. I think that's kind of what's happening in this passage with Jesus. Jesus. Remember last week week we looked at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is baptized and He receives this confirmation from God that He is the Messiah. The heavens are torn open. The Spirit descends on Him like a dove. A voice comes from heaven and says, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He has this confirmation from God, but He has to be tested. He has to prove that He truly is the Son of God. And it says in the text that the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. After his confirmation, he was immediately dro- driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit. Now this is kind of interesting to me. It's kind of shocking when we look at this passage that the Spirit would send him out into enemy territory. The wilderness was a place of great danger. Uh, it was a place where wild animals were. And talking about wild animals, we're not talking about Bambi and Thumper. We're talking about... Uh, lions, wolves, hyenas, uh, animals that could really do some harm. It was believed to be the place where evil spirits dwell. It believed that they dwelled in desolate places. It says that Satan tested him for 40 days. So it's interesting that the spirit is the one who puts him in the place of testing, that puts him into the place of danger. And I think that kind of surprises us because Maybe we don't verbalize it, but a lot of us have this idea that if we're following after Jesus, if we're doing the right things, then God will keep us from danger, Then God will keep us from trial, that everything will go smoothly. But we see that in Jesus' case, and in our case also, that sometimes the Spirit tests us. Sometimes God leads us into testing. And Jesus is led into this time of testing, of proving himself. And, and we know, of course, that he succeeds in every way. But he's brought into this period of testing. And for us as believers who are followers of Jesus, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to follow Jesus and about follow uh, about that call that he gives the disciples in a few minutes. But for us as followers of Jesus, Sometimes we need to follow Jesus into the wilderness. Just like Jesus went into the wilderness for a time of testing, if we're following after Jesus, sometimes He leads us into the wilderness. Now we talked about Jesus being with wild animals in the wilderness. It's interesting that Mark would include this detail. It's not included in any of the other Gospels. Uh, many scholars believe that the book of Mark was written towards, uh, directed towards the uh, believers in Rome. And some scholars believe that it was written during the time period of right after when Nero started persecuting Christians. And one of the ways that he would persecute Christians was that he would dress them in animal skins and then throw them to the wild animals. So if that is the case, and we don't know that for sure, but if that is the case, Mark might have been saying, just like... You're being thrown to the wolves, to the wild animals. Jesus was with the wild animals. Just like you are thrown to the wild animals, Jesus was with the wild animals and He overcame and you can also overcome. Following Jesus can lead us to the wilderness. I'll never forget a message that I heard. I might have mentioned this in another sermon before, but I was about to enter into Southern Seminary and they had this orientation and... uh, The professor who was giving a sermon, his name was Dr. Russell Moore, uh, he got up and he said something like this. I don't know the exact words. But he said, now you are committing yourself to serve God in ministry. You are giving yourself to serve God and follow Him and making disciples of the nations. And now from this day forward, you forfeit the right to remain anonymous to the enemy. From now on, you are marked men and women. And so he said, don't be surprised when you face struggles. Don't be surprised when you fall into temptation. See, following Jesus can lead us to the wilderness. It's actually happened to almost every believer. I think probably all believers. It's spent time in the wilderness. Consider uh, the great reformer Martin Luther. He suffered from depression and wrote in a letter... a friend, I was more for more than a week really in death and hell. My whole body stricken so that my limbs still tremble. I almost completely lost Christ in waves of storm and despair and blasphemy against God. But moved by the prayers of the saints, God began to show mercy to me and raised up my soul from the depths of hell. Keep on praying for me as I do for you. Jonathan Edwards, one of the Uh, greatest theologians America will ever know, uh, was a pastor for a time in Northampton, Massachusetts, and he gave some of the most famous sermons in American history uh, at that church. But he was removed from that church. He was voted out of that church by a vote of 200 to 23. The great writer C.S. Lewis believed that he had failed as an apologist, as a defender of the Christian faith. Reportedly, he was offered an interview from the BBC, and he said this. He said, Like the old fangless snake in the Jungle Book, I've largely lost my dialectical power. He reportedly spent so much time in in pubs and smoking uh, cigarettes or cigars that publishers worried about what conservative Christians would think about him. He found love later in life, but his wife uh, died of cancer at the age of 45. According to Ivan Strensky, professor at the University of California, after his wife's death, the cocky self-confidence was, is totally destroyed. The confident modern interpreter of Christianity is gone. He's really a shattered Christian. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon suffered greatly from depression, from slander from those who sought to tear down his ministry, as well as painful bouts with gout. The greatest evangelist in the history of the world, Billy Graham, almost gave up in the early years of his ministry. At that time, Billy Graham was not very well known. He had been uh, doing revivals and speaking in a number of different places, and he had achieved some success, but he wasn't that well known. And he uh, did a revival in Altoona, Pennsylvania, which he described as a flop. flop. Um, Not as many people came to the Lord as he had hoped. There was infighting between the churches. Um, apparently, from what I read, you know, some of the churches refused to even be on the stage with other churches. It was just a mess, according to um, Billy Graham's recollection of it. And not only that, his good friend Charles Templeton walked away from a biblical faith, believed that the intellect and in the university was the answer to life's problems rather than Jesus. And so Billy Graham spent some time in the wilderness also, and he questioned whether he was really ma- set out to be an evangelist whether he should continue or whether he should just go to the university. He went so far as even questioning the validity of the Bible. All of God's saints have spent time in the wilderness. And all of us as believers will spend some time there. But even when we're in the wilderness, the text shows us that God provides for us. It says in the text that the angels were ministering to Jesus. That even in our in the wilderness God provides for us what we need so that's the first point that Jesus leads us may lead us into the wilderness but we see also that Jesus also leads us to fruitfulness he not only leads us to the wilderness but it leads us to fruitfulness Mark records that after Jesus testing after he's in the wilderness he goes to Galilee and preaches that the kingdom of God is at hand and we see throughout this ministry that there's a fruitfulness that's based upon the authority that he has. His authority produces fruitfulness. He record, Mark records how Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He First he sees Simon and Andrew, then James and John. And he calls both of them to follow him. And both of them leave their things behind and follow right after him. There's a few interesting things about this passage. Uh, first of all, it was usually not the rabbi who chose disciples. It was usually disciples that chose a rabbi. The disciples or, or potential disciples would find a rabbi that they respected, and then they would go up and approach that rabbi and ask the rabbi if they could learn from him, if they could follow after his ways. And then the rabbi would either you know, refuse, or if, if they th- thought that they were a good candidate, they would allow, him, allow them to follow him around. Uh, to learn the ways. Yet, in this passage, Jesus chooses the disciples. The rabbi chooses the disciples. Now, this probably would have been quite flattering for these fishermen. I mean, they're just fishermen. They're uh, not that well-educated. They're not religious professionals. They don't have as much study in the law as some others. And so there's, they're asked to follow Jesus, so it probably would have been a great honor. But even despite that, it's remarkable that they would leave everything to follow Jesus right on the spot. I mean, these these people, they they had a good business going. They were probably middle-class citizens. Uh, It says that they had hired servants, that they had a boat. They weren't the poorest of the poor. It wasn't like they had nothing else to lose. They had a good, successful business going. They had their families, but immediately when Jesus came, they dropped everything. And followed after him. It speaks of a great authority. It speaks of a great respect. I was watching the TV show uh, Fixer Upper a few nights ago. And if you're not familiar with the, with the show, it's about a couple who helps people ho- find houses uh, and then helps them re- remodel the house um, and kind of make it to their specifications. And I said something to Stephanie like this. I said, I, I wish I could just like follow Chip around. Chip's the guy in, in the story. Uh, I wish I could just kind of follow him around for a little bit and just kind of learn from him and just kind of help him with little things and just kind of learn what, how to do the things that he does. Now, Chip called me up and he said, Matt, I got a project that I'd like you to help me with. I want you to come down to Texas and uh, you can help me with this project and I'll teach you some things for a few days and, and I'd love for you to come down. Now, that happened... I'd be looking up plane tickets. I'd be seeing, Pastor Phil, can you preach next week? I'd be trying to, to go there. To do, it would be an opportunity of a lifetime. But if somebody from the local construction company called me up and said, hey, i got a project I want you to help me with. Can you come down and uh, teach you a few things? I'd be like, okay, how much are you going to pay me? I mean, i got things to do. I'm busy. <laughs> I can't just walk away from the things i got to do. How much are you going to pay me for that? But when you respect somebody, it garners a type of authority. And Jesus had that kind of authority that He would just come up to these people and they'd leave everything to follow Him. Of course, it didn't happen to everyone, but He had that kind of authority. And as we go through the book of Mark, we'll see other examples of His authority. We see that He'll have authority to cast out unclean spirits, that He has authority over diseases, that He has authority as the Lord of the Sabbath, that He has authority over physical laws, and ultimately that He has authority over sin and death. Jesus' words and His actions have authority, and they have power. That when Jesus acts and when Jesus moves, it creates movement, it creates a fruitfulness because of who He is. And Jesus calls these people to follow after him, to follow me. Now, it's different from the calls of the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets would call people to repentance, and they would say, follow God or follow the law, follow in the ways of God. They would never say, follow after me, follow me. But Jesus has that kind of authority, and he says, follow me. And he says, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. In other words, follow me and I will give you fruitfulness. Follow me and I will give you a life of significance. And that's based upon the authority that he has. Because he has that authority, we're guaranteed that when we follow him, we'll live lives that are fruitful, that are lives of significance, because of his authority. Matthew's account of the gospel, in giving the Great Commission, uh, Matthew says that even. Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So make disciples. So those people who are Jesus' disciples are assured that their lives will be filled with fruitfulness, with significance. Even if they spend time in the wilderness. Even when they are in the wilderness, they'll, they can have fruit. They can have lives of significance. Jesus may lead us into the wilderness, but He also leads us to fruitfulness. Let's return to some of those people we looked at. Heroes of the faith. Martin Luther, who struggled with depression and obsession changed the history of the church forever he helped rein in abuses brought about needed reforms and will always be remembered as one of the most significant figures in the history of the church Jonathan Edwards is considered by many to be the greatest American theologian ever to live his works are read by by thousands of believers today C.S. Lewis, who believed that he had failed as a Christian apologist, is recognized today as one of the greatest defenders of the Christian faith. His books, The Chronicles of Narnia, have sold over 100 million copies alone. And his other uh, nonfiction works are still widely read today. Charles Spurgeon, who suffered from depression, is affectionately called today the Prince of Preachers recognized as one of the greatest preachers ever to live he's believed to have preached to 10 million people in his lifetime in addition he opens an an alms house an orphanage and he opened a pastor's college that continues until this day and finally billy graham remember the situation in he was in he's in his early 30s not that well known not that famous But he's in the wilderness. He's recently suffered suffered a setback at at the campaign or crusade in Altoona. He believes it was a failure and he's questioning, do I have what it takes to continue? Am I really an evangelist? And then he's questioning, "Is, is God's Word really trustworthy? Is God's Word what people really need? Do people really need Jesus or do they need to retrain their mind? So he's questioning these things. Questioning whether he should continue. Questioning whether... The Bible is really God's Word. And during that time frame, he was invited to speak at a place called Forest Home. Uh, a, godly young, uh, a godly woman invited him to speak there. And reluctantly, he agreed to speak there. And while he was there, he spent some time into, in prayer. And he went out into the woods. And there was a tree stump. that A tree had been cut down. And he laid the Bible on the tree stump and he said this. He said, oh God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with it, with it for which I have no solution. There are many seeming contradictions. There are some areas in it that do not seem to correlate with modern science. I can't answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions Chuck and others are raising. But then he fell on his knees and he cried out. He said, father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts. And I'll believe this to be your inspired word. The next night he preached at Forrest Home, 400 people accepted the Lord. Just a few weeks after that, he had a campaign in Los Angeles, the 1949 Los Angeles campaign which was a major turning point in his whole, the whole direction of his life. The revival was supposed to last for three weeks, but people came, kept coming night after night after night for eight weeks. In all, 300, over 350,000 people are estimated to have come to, these, to this crusade. It's estimated that over 3,000 people made decisions to follow after Christ. It was the beginning of Billy Graham as we know him today. It was the beginning of many large crusades for Billy Graham. He went on to preach the gospel to more people in person than anybody else in history. Preaching in person to uh, close to 215 million people. And that's not including the people that he preached to uh, through television and radio and whatnot. He served as an advisor to presidents, world leaders... But all of it almost didn't happen because he was in the wilderness. He was tested. He was tried. But God brought him through it and he gave him a life of fruitfulness. Some of us today are in the wilderness. All of God's people have gone there. Times of doubt. Times of testing. Times of trial. Times where we wonder, God, where are you in my situation? But I'd like to encourage you today with the fact that all of God's people have been there. All of God's people have been to the wilderness. But even though Jesus leads us sometimes to the wilderness, He also leads us to fruitfulness. That even while we're in the wilderness, He can make us fruitful. Even while we're in the wilderness, He can sustain us and give us what we need. And give us a life that matters. A life that makes an eternal impact. Jesus says, follow me. Sometimes it will take you to the wilderness. Sometimes it will take you to the mountaintops. But follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you sustain us when we're in the wilderness. We thank you that you give us lives of significance that You've called us to join You in Your mission of reaching every man, woman, and child with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we thank You that You've allowed us to be a part of that. That You call us to follow You and that You'll teach us to become fishers of men, to teach us to make disciples of all nations. God, I pray for anybody here who's in the wilderness today, who's struggling with doubt, with questions that they can't answer. I pray that they would turn to you, that they would rely on you through it, and realize that even though they're in the wilderness, you can bring fruit from their life. In Christ's name I pray, amen.